And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So when it comes to innovation, startups, being an entrepreneur, all of our stories start somewhere. For me, it started in the extra bedroom of a home that I lived in, in another city than the one I live in now. That turned into a whole lot of different stuff for me and everything that I do now. For you, it might be a different story. For the next entrepreneur down the line, yet another story. But many people's startup stories begin in innovation hubs, startup accelerators, incubators, and places that are built to help entrepreneurs get things started. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And as usual, I've brought in a subject matter expert to explore that with me. Before I let you know who that is, quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits platform built for small businesses. Gusto automatically files your payroll taxes, directly deposits your team pay, plus can do all kinds of other stuff, help you with 401k, health insurance, workman's comp. And because you're a Startup Hustle listener, you get three months free once you're on your first payroll. Go to gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. Link in the show notes, people. Click it. With me today, I've got Lakshmi Shinoy. She's the CEO of the Embark Collective from Tampa, Florida. Lakshmi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I love this topic. I, I think anything that uh, that brings entrepreneurs closer to where they want to be is awesome. And so are the people that help with that. Much like startups have a backstory, so do CEOs and founders. So why don't you go ahead and bring us up to speed on yours? Absolutely. Um, so the the story of Embark Collective is is slightly wayward, but um, prior to moving to Tampa, Florida, I'm not originally from here. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. And so I spent uh, a good amount of time before moving here at an organization called 1871 in Chicago, which is one of the world's biggest startup hubs. And um, because of that experience and the work I did there, I got recruited down to come to Florida. And the, the, the premise of it was, hey, you understand what it means to create density for startups and the right support needed to help startups grow. Um, could you do that down here in Florida? So I had this blank slate to take all of the lessons I had learned in Chicago of what really worked for us and what were some of the mistakes we made. And that's what became Embark Collective, which officially opened its doors in January of 2020. What a, what a time to open your door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So, well, yeah, one thing as an entrepreneur that you can count on is that uh, good old Murphy's, you know, what is it? Murphy's law that that whatever could go wrong will certainly go wrong at the worst possible time. Um, Now, for those of you interested in learning more about Embark Collective, much like the Gusto link, there's a link for Embark Collective. I'm not going to try to spell that because that's a that's a a lot of a, a lot of letters now. Uh, as I mentioned before we hit record, the the one and only time I went to Tampa, I was the keynote speaker at the National Fraternity Executives uh, uh, National Convention. I had no idea that was even a thing until I booked it and had the pleasure of speaking in front of 500 people and then went on a beautiful ride around the bay. Um, now, for those of us in Kansas City, my hometown, we remember Tampa Bay because they just whooped us in the Super Bowl. So sorry, I'm, I'm, sorry really conf- I'm really confused. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm really well. We got it the year before, so we can't get greedy. But uh, you know, I was really impressed with Tampa. It's a, uh, like I said, it's the only time I've been there. It's a nice city. Now you've got quite the facility that you've moved into there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I and mean, so this is part of a bigger a bigger vision. So right now, uh, there is a huge investment, over three billion dollars of investment, going into the city of Tampa to really double the size of downtown Tampa, and that's through a project called Water Street Tampa. Um, We are right on the edge of Water Street Tampa, and Bark Collective is. Um, So Water Street Tampa is going to be the first well and lead certified district in the world, providing amazing retail space, um, residential space, all of the, the, the types of things that a modern city needs to have. And Tampa really needed this type of investment. I, I don't remember the how long it had been, but it had been a while since the last skyscraper had gone up in the city. So this is a really exciting time of change. And when you think about the fact that we're building this great place, we knew that we needed to build a, a, a place that attracts great people. And that's where Embark Collective really comes in. I'm sure that in, in your episodes before, you've talked about how entrepreneurship, especially tech startups, are, are really the, the best source of job creation in the U.S. And so um, what we wanted to do is create a mechanism to enable that in Tampa. And that's the facility that's here. Um, and we, what we did is we, we went on a journey to take an old, it's a 100-year-old building. And it originally started as a refrigeration, um, a, a cold refrigeration storage area for the train lines. So if you can imagine train cars were pulling their goods into the building I'm sitting in right now, and it was all cold storage. Um, and a hundred years later, now it's a startup hub. So it was new technology then, and now we're creating new technologies today. Um, but I'll tell you a little bit about the facility itself. So it is built on a premise It's a, uh, that we wanted to create a space that created density for the startup community in Tampa Bay. And that didn't exist because this is a really spread out region. Um, I've been to Kansas City a couple of times. I don't know how sort of spread out the metropolitan area is, but Tampa Bay region is is huge. Um, And so if you're trying to figure out where do I find like-minded people, where do I find other startup founders, other investors, um, people who could come work on my team, that that type of population, it was you, you basically spent your time in a car. 
uh, driving around. And so the premise for us was what, what if we centralize that into one space where we could have a physical landing zone for the startup community in our region. And, and that was the start of Embark Collective. And we built the space to be able to help people have areas to build, to learn and collaborate all together. Um, and uh, I won't get, go into the details unless you want me to on, on sort of what the space looks like, but that's the broad premise for the 32,000 square foot space that we have here. I mean, 32,000 square feet is a lot. And I, I know it because, you know, I've got 20,000 uh, square feet for our staff at full scale. I mean, that's two floors of a skyscraper, basically. And, yeah. and it's all relative, uh, I mean, right? Yeah. yeah. 1871 was 140,000 square feet when I was there. So here, this feels manageable. I'm like 32,000 square feet. Yeah. I can handle this. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. Now, when it comes to, you, know, you mentioned a couple buzzwords when it comes to these kind of spaces, density is one of them, uh, which that density creates collisions, which is another buzzword for, for the co-working and uh, incubation type space. How important is that when it comes to building an innovation hub in general? Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, you can, you can work so hard as a startup founder and every startup founder knows you have to work um, harder than harder than the next person um, and you can have yourself completely buttoned up but sometimes you just need that addition of luck to make whatever you need happen happen um, and so when you create that density you're increasing your chances of luck happening for you. We, we call it seren curated serendipity. There's lots of different ways that, that people sort of dub what this luck is. But the idea is that, you know, put, create a space where the people you need can find you and, and you can run into them. And, um, you know, you might not necessarily have the objective when you're in the kitchen that um, I'm looking for my next investor, but you might just run into that person who is that person, uh, is that investor, or can make the introduction to your next investor, whatever it may be. But it's just putting yourself in the right setting to find the people you need to grow your company. So when it comes to your space, do you take a vested interest in the companies? Like, is this, or is it more about the space? It's, I would say it's neither, um, you know, so at our core, we're an, an education nonprofit. We're a nonprofit that helps people with the, the knowledge and the information they need to build a high growth tech or tech enabled startup. Um, and it, while the space is a, a really big part of that value proposition, it's not all of it. Um, much like incubators that exist out there, we have a, a whole programming and coaching capability in our team. And, and last year, um, we delivered 1,300 hours of one-on-one -on -one coaching for the companies that we work with. The difference between us and an incubator is that we are not um, leveraging a, a volunteer base of mentors. We actually have those coaches on our staff. Um, and so they're all paid to help these companies. 
The kicker though, the reason why this is really a benefit to startups is that we're not taking any equity interest in these companies. Companies pay a really nominal fee. It's $150 per person per month to be a part of Embark Collective. And um, and and they keep all of the, the ownership or whatever their, however their cap table looks, it's not disrupted by Embark Collective, um, which is something that I'm really proud of given that we wanna make sure at the early stage companies have everything in place to really take off. So maybe you mentioned this earlier and I missed it, but who, who does, then who pays for it? I mean, where does that, yeah. what is this, a, is this, a, I, I know you mentioned a $30 billion project in downtown Tampa. Is this a function of the city of Tampa or the region? Yeah. So $3 billion, 30 billion would be amazing. Uh, but, but 3 billion. Um, and, and the, the, way that we fund ourselves so we're a nonprofit. so we have we have sources of funding from donors um both individual donors as well as corporations and then the membership um makes, makes up the difference of those funds okay so now when you talked about i, I want to dive a little deeper into the and we don't have to get into like the true syllabus but when you talk about the um so you have one-on-one -on -one, uh you know, interaction. I'm assuming there's some class or group work in there. Like, I mean, what, what is the, what's the, what are the subjects typically, you know, what are, or, or what are some of the popular ones? Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've now been delivering coaching and programming since March of 2019. And so um, we've got a pretty good idea of what the specific population of entrepreneurs really needs. And what we do is we just base the um, if you looked at an org chart for a startup, you're going to have the CEO, you're going to have a tech team, you're going to have um, a, a sort of a sales team, a, a marketing team, uh, somebody focused on talent eventually, um, all of those pieces. And, and what we do is we mirror our coaching and our programming on those roles that are existing in startups. And then we did, we use the insights from our individual coaching sessions to guide what our group programming or our workshops look like. So a couple of weeks ago, um, we had a lot of companies, not a lot, but a handful of companies that were navigating, sending outbound emails and them landing in a spam folder. So we did a session on how do you warm up your domain so that you can do outbound sales. Um, and so those types of really tactical sessions that um, allow people to ask questions that are really specific to their needs um, and and but yet get a framework for how to think about this in the future and we record all of our sessions so it's not a one and done you can go to our library of content at any point um, and and access something and, and re-watch it or watch it for the first time if when we originally had the workshop, it wasn't relevant to where you were with your company. I like that. Uh, rather, I, you know, one of the things that I've been, no, oh, I'm not going to say critical, but mildly critical perhaps about certain programs is that they often are, they're, they're a little too pre-planned. And mm -hmm. I like that approach of listening. So I always tell people, listen for the echo. You know, yeah. when you hear it over and over and over, I mean, there's something that needs to be answered. Or there's something that occurs there. And, and 
you know, one of the things that makes some programs a little impractical for businesses, it's like, well, how do you even know what my problems are unless we've talked about it? And then Absolutely. granted that probably just down to that 80-20 rule, you can probably, I, I could probably guess what 80, close to eight out of 10 of the hot topics were, but I never would have, have thought of like what you mentioned, like warming up your domain for outbound emails. And yeah. That kind of stuff gets my attention more than, I don't know, you get it. Some of the things that in, in some programs are a little too canned and they're not as, as specific or utilitarian when it comes to everything. And I don't want to downplay the value of those things, but as, a, as an entrepreneur and a founder, uh, we often have ADD and then mm -hmm. sometimes we're hyper-focused too. So, you know, you can get distracted by things and then sometimes unless it is directly related to the problem that you need to solve right now, don't hear it. You know, it's so, yeah. 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 And, and so, you have to think about the diversity of our demographic. Like we have people who are on their fourth business and then we have others who are building a business for the first time straight out of whatever schooling they they went through right. and right. so right. we've got to be able to meet everyone and if we had a cookie cutter approach that's just it's it's going to leave too many people out because it's not yep. going to be relevant so you know it's not the most scalable we're up to 80 companies and definitely feeling the stretch of um you know how how this very hands-on team that I get to be a part of operates. Um, but, but at the same time, I know that the value that we're offering, we're, we're offering really good value to the companies that we get to work with. Yeah. And I, I like that agile approach. Cause like I said, it's a, every, it, well, right at the beginning of the episode, everyone's got a different story. Everyone's got a different set of needs. I have, and, and while business businesses and entrepreneurs and founders in general share, I mean, we, we have 80% of the same problems. It's the 20% outside of that, that are, um, you know, I mean, if I had to guess what the most popular topic it is, it's always, how do I get funding? You know, like that is I mean, nearly 600 episodes into this, into this podcast, that's always the hottest topic. And, yeah, yeah. you know, so that, that kind of stuff is pretty universally presented, but I like the agile approach. Okay. So, yeah, but you open a 32,000 square foot space that is intent on building dense density and collisions and then a pandemic comes around. So how do yeah. you guys handle that? Absolutely. <clears throat> um, we, this is where luck really uh, played, played a, a role. So um, believe it or not, <laughs> uh, construction was delayed when we were building out our space. I know it's hard to believe construction always goes on time. Um, and yeah. Much like, much like building tech, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so so we, we wanted to open our space in March of 2019. That didn't happen. And, and we, re we actually opened the space in January of 2020. But I'm an impatient entrepreneur. I didn't want to wait on the sidelines. I built a team. I had built relationships with startups that were going to be our first set of, of members, our inaugural 25 companies that were a part of Embark Collective. So what we decided to do was open without a space. And so we worked virtually with companies um, from March of 2019 until January of 2020. So when we when the pandemic hit, we actually were in a pretty nimble spot because all we had to do was revert back to 
we, the way that we were working with companies, uh, you know, just a few months prior. Um, so it, it's a lot of luck. I wish I could say that I, I planned out that whole scenario to be pandemic ready, but nobody, nobody did. So um, it was, it, that's how we navigated it. And, and Florida has been a pretty fast, um, fast moving or fast reacting state broadly um, as it relates to the pandemic. And so uh, some of the reopening began in May and June. And so what we were categorized in the phase two of Florida's reopening, which happened in June. And, and so we were able to reopen our space um, at that point with, with safety precautions around um, you know, masking and, and distancing, all of the things that are second nature to all of us right now. Um, but we were able to do it much earlier than any of our peer organizations were, um, which you know was, was a, a challenge because we had to make sure that safety was at the forefront of everything that we did, but it allowed us to not lose too much momentum. And what's really remarkable for my team is that um, from the start of the pandemic until now, we've actually doubled the number of companies that we support. Um, we went from 40 companies at the start of the pandemic to now 80. Um, so we're really in, a, in an amazing spot where, where we, we grew um, in a time where, where most people were not able to. So uh, definitely counter blessings there. With me today, I've got Lakshmi Shinoy, the CEO of Embark, Embark Collective in Tampa, Florida. There's a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about what they do and the different people that are employed on that staff. Speaking of taking care of employees, it's never been more important. And for years, Gusto has been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees and more. And that's why they call it the people platform. It doesn't just look nice. It works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance, 401ks, and you get three free months when you run your first payroll if you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There is a link in the show notes for that, as well as Embark Collective. Now, we talk about Gusto taking care of employees. How many people are working on this with you on your team? Uh, yeah, we've got about 12 people and growing, you know, we like everyone, we, we sort of made sure that we were really um, lean through the pandemic. And now we're, we're getting to a place where we can start to grow again, but we won't, we won't um, grow past 20 members on our team. Okay, so now we're talking, uh, and we're talking about how to build an innovation hub. Uh, you see a lot of organizations similar to this in a lot of cities uh, around. You know, like you mentioned, you had uh, we've had some of the folks from 1871 on the show, and yeah. um, now for for cities or areas or regions that want to build an innovation hub, where do you start? <laughs> a great that's a really great question and um i i recently went through that experience when i had to to build what became embark collective so for for me it was really understanding what was the need uh i don't think that an innovation hub or a startup hub is the answer to every region's um, needs i think it's really about um making sure that you 
first are understanding, you know, where are the entrepreneurs and where are they, where are they banging their head against the wall as it relates to moving their business forward? And I had nearly 500 conversations with members of this community when I moved down here in 2018. And I had to do that. I was totally new to this community. I had no connections to it. Um, and I, I really needed to understand um, how the needs of the entrepreneurs in Tampa Bay differed from other regions mm. that I was more familiar with. And that really informed sort of three prongs to a strategy for us, which was one around density, which is what I had noted before. There really wasn't a central landing zone to find like-minded people in this region. Um, the second was really around um, the having an, an investment in curated support. And I really feel passionately about this, um, that a that that in nascent markets, markets that don't have a ton of startup success and and uh, yet, and in regions that don't have a huge population of startup operators and tech startup operators, which is different than um, a, a small business entrepreneur. Um, we've got to figure out a way to best provide localized support. And my answer to that was, well, let me, let me do more vetting and pay the people who are supporting companies so that I can have um, the level of quality in terms of the support that this organization provides. It also, when you pay somebody, it creates accountability and consistency, um, things that you can't always expect when you have a volunteer group. And then the last piece, which you, know, you, you talked a lot about in your um, Startup Incubator episode is really around connectivity to customers, capital and talent. And, and we really have made some significant investments on that front to the point where we have a talent strategist on our team who is helping startups with their organizational design and crafting job descriptions and finding really top talent to join their team. So those three pieces of density and curated support and that connectivity form the strategy that is the core of the startup, the innovation hub that is Embark Collective. So you, you talk a lot about talent and finding help. And, you know, I, at, when I'm not recording Startup Hustle, I'm the CEO of Fullscale. And, you know, you want to learn more about what we do, go to fullscale.io. There's anywhere between 300 and 400,000 open tech jobs in the U.S. And, you know, part of what we do is we help people build teams in the Philippines, because there's a ton of developers over there and there aren't here. How do you and your organization work with tech companies to help overcome that problem? Because the struggle is real. I mean, that's part of why our company's grown so fast at full scale. And as an entrepreneur, you, you got you to gotta find, you got to find the help and the talent and the resources somewhere, um, whether that's on this side of the planet or the other side. But how do you, how do you tackle that problem or work around it? Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. It is so, I mean, the, the talent market is tight right now. And um, if, if, you're, if you're looking for, for people in one spot, 
um, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And so I think that's been our approach is diversify our options. Um, and so whether it's creating on-ramps with um, the local universities and, and starting to get some of the, the sales and development talent, those are the two areas that are of real need um, in early stage startups, getting, starting to get the, those students into internship programs within startups so that they are being set up to hopefully take a job if they're successful in that internship. That's one approach. Um, you, leveraging offshore talent is, is a really good approach. And so many of the startups that we work with um, either are fully leveraging offshore talent or a hybrid <clears throat> approach where some are, on, some are local to the startup or in the US and, and some are um, uh, abroad. That's a really strong approach as well. Um, we have a we have a member startup here at Embark Collective called Panther, and they're they have really doubled down on this notion that the talent market is tight, and then really top talent is anywhere in the world. And so they're being they're helping tech companies um, bring on top talent globally as employees, not contractors, which is a, a whole thing of red tape. If you're trying to navigate it yourself, it's best to go with a partner like, like you know, the startup Panther or anybody else. And so um, the, I think for us, the key is just making sure that we are not closing doors on opportunities that help us find really great people. And we also talk to, we do a lot of talent workshops here and really hone in the fact that companies always need to be recruiting. Even if you're not hiring, you are recruiting. Um, so that when that option, that opportunity comes up and you need that perfect person, but you met them two years ago, you've already cultivated the relationship with them to, to think about joining your team, even if they have a, a job right now and you can do a compelling enough sales pitch to them on why joining your team is the best thing in the world they could do. And hopefully you bring them on. Yeah, and that, that talent and the cost of acquiring it is it's steep. It's just steep. And it's and this is this isn't something that's I, I'm it's refreshing for me to hear someone involved in something like, you know, at the scale that you're doing that uh, you know, say the words that you just said. Cause I think a lot of times uh it's unfair to local startups to guilt them into feeling like they need to only do business locally while the big huge corporations and, and fortune 500 companies and publicly traded companies that they compete with certainly don't. And it's, and you know, and it's a, it's a challenge because I think a lot of operators and programs, they feel like they're walking that tightrope between, you know, they, it, Hey, you're not sending jobs away anywhere when there aren't people to do them in the first place. Right. So, yeah. uh, and, and part, and part of what, so, and this will be old news by the time this comes out, but Apple just announced that they're going to move to Raleigh, open an office in Raleigh, Durham. And yeah. they, they're, the headline is Apple's bringing 20,000 jobs to the research triangle, which is what they call the Raleigh, Durham area. Uh, and with a with an average salary of one hundred eighty seven thousand dollars, and if I'm a startup founder, I'm sitting here going, "Man, I'm just trying to get an MVP built. How am I supposed to compete with Apple?" And yeah. you know, so part of the the advice we've given is that you find the best uh, someone local that you can have, and then you dollar cost average that down across a, a team that's distributed wherever they're at. 
and sure. whether that's using us or somewhere else and that way you can still build a team there's a little bit more diversity and there is something to be said about having people in the same room uh on some days and on some days it's just fine to not have them so you got to kind of get that figured out but yeah that's a that's an interesting uh topic. And then I think a lot of times too, it's, uh, you know, when you get into the education stuff, I mean, that's a generational problem to solve. You know, like I have a six-year-old, she's not going to be ready for the work. I can start her in tech now. I can start her in STEM now, but you know, it's going to be a little bit, we'll give her, we'll give her about four years until she's for 10 sure. before she can yeah. join the workforce. She'll probably be able to, if she started now, she'll probably get, be able to get one of those $200,000 a year jobs. Cause who knows? But yeah, that's a that's an interesting uh, thing to deal with. And and you're right. There are talented people all over the world. You just have to have a strong understanding on how to find them. So, yeah, we we mentioned that we use the acronym rare recruiting, assessing, retaining and employing. Absolutely. And that's another thing, too, is it's kind of challenging for startups, because if you're trying to protect your intellectual property, well, you shouldn't be just throwing darts at the world map and using Upwork. That's not Absolutely. a very good approach. So, yeah. And, yeah. That'll, and that'll come up later. It will come up. It certainly will. So, okay. So as a quick reminder to those listening, once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Gusto. If you run a startup, give Gusto a try. They can help you with your payroll, the deposit paychecks, file payroll taxes automatically. You can get employee health insurance, onboarding, expert HR, and more. And you get three free months when you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Don't forget the startup hustle part, people, because we want Gusto to keep paying us. I mean, that's uh, uh, an important part. And and I want to go back to something you said before, and I want to commend you on paying people to come in and be experts at your place. I think that uh, I I see a lot of startup founders and organizations kind of trip up because they get an amazing cast of volunteers that they then complain about not doing that they aren't doing much later and and i think that that you know some form of either vested interest or compensation or something uh gets people's attention and you're you're completely right when it comes to uh building teams like that so let's see if we can help you with that what kind of roles and people are you going to be adding to your team down the road or what kind of people interest you and do they need to be from tampa Absolutely. So um, really good question. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny, the, the whole notion about like, why, why did we choose we, making the decision to uh, pay our coaches? Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a small team of coaches, but we pay them. That's a big investment. These are not, um, these are some amazing execs with awesome track records. So, um, it, you know, and they all come from the startup environment. And so they, they have a good, they have a decent going rate. And so you have to be able to make that investment. And, and that means that's a trade-off, you, you know, you're, you're investing in the support. So what are you not investing in? And that's a, that's a whole different conversation. Um, but in regards to our own team, um, we just brought on a wellness coach, which, believe it or not, is is a huge area of need, um, both mental and physical for for startup founders who are totally um, entrenched in their business and other parts of their lives are suffering because of it. Having somebody on our staff to be able to help them through those moments is incredibly important. Um, I'm looking at bringing on a B2B sales coach. Um, 
for obvious reasons, sales is very important <laughs> for an early stage startup. And uh, the B2B approach is, is uh, there's, a, there's a playbook for how to do that right. And I wanna make sure that we've got somebody really, um, really capable uh, in that role. And in a non-coaching capacity, we are bringing on a, a growth marketing manager for our team. Uh, Embark Collective is a new brand. And so we need to make sure that we continue to grow the visibility of what we're doing because that helps us demonstrate that Tampa Bay is a really great place to build a tech startup. Uh, and it is, you know, we, we've got all of the makings of you know, beach, we've got Super Bowl wins, Stanley Cup wins, all of the trophies that you could ever want happening here. Um, but now with Embark Collective, you've got the right startup infrastructure to be able to help early stage companies actually grow. So the roles we're looking for sales, the B2B sales coach and that marketing manager. So if anybody knows them, um, and ideally, you know, it, we I'd love to have that person in Florida. Um, we we have a we have a strategy coach who works out of Orlando, which is about uh, give or take an hour to three hours from from Tampa, depending on traffic. Uh, I just I just had a really jaded drive, so that's why um, I'm feeling snarky on that front. But uh, but you know, I'm, I'm I ultimately I'll follow where good people are and I'll make it work. And if it's the best thing for the startup community that we support, we'll figure it out. Having been to Florida a number of times, I find the one to three hours estimate to be quite precise because that <laughs> sounds about right. It really depends on what's going on in the weather as well, not to mention because you never know what you're going to get these days. Um, so, you know, are there plans to get out of Tampa with this or is this is this Tampa all, all the way all day? It's a really good question. And I would have given you a different answer before the pandemic. Um, the pandemic demonstrated to us that we could serve more companies than, um, you know, the physicality of what we were doing was no longer so critical. And what was interesting is that we started to get up some companies from the Orlando area applying for membership to Embark Collective. And during their application process, we were very upfront with them saying, you know, you're not going to be able to leverage the physical space on a regular basis unless you're willing to make the drive is the rest of the, the value proposition of the coaching, the programming, the administrative support, the, the discounts, all of those things, is that compelling enough to you to be able to come to Embark, be a part of Embark Collective? And their answer was yes. Um, and so that really opened our eyes. It was the customers demonstrating that they, were, they had the, the demand for what we were doing. Um, that opened our eyes so that to, to realize that we could do more for companies beyond Tampa Bay. That being said, we are right now really focused on Florida at large, and it's the third largest state, so it's not a small market to be focused on, but we think that we can really be of service to companies beyond um, Tampa Bay in the state of Florida, um, and are really excited to, to be able to offer that to them. So I end my episodes, and I say my episodes. I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. Make sure to tune in on Tuesdays so you can join Andrew Morgans, the CEO and founder of Marknology. Learn how to sell more stuff online, especially through Amazon. Uh, tune in on Thursdays where you can join Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her KC. She talks about I, she talks about everything, and usually with women. 
So uh, big, big fan and supporter of Innovate Her, Lauren and Andrew, and want to always thank them for doing what they do on the podcast. Now, if you haven't had enough Startup Hustle at that point, come on over to YouTube. Did you hear we started the TV show? We 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 really did Lakshmi. We started a TV show where the show is a, it's about startups and the show itself is a startup. And folks, we're we're getting it figured out. So come by the YouTube and see what we have to say. Now I mentioned the founders freestyle. I like asking people what the best advice they can give for future founders is, as well as opening up the response portal for whatever information or comments that they would like to make about the show in general. So it's your freestyle, lay it on us. Um, so in terms of uh, the advice, I think that there is a fine line between getting a second opinion and getting way too many opinions. And so that's something that um, we've been, I've, I've been noticing a lot with some of the startups we work with is that you can get whiplash if you are um, sort of building your business based on the opinions of um, different voices around you. So um, make sure you you vet your your hypotheses, but uh, don't let the opinions of the days from your immediate network um, dictate the trajectory of your business. Do, do any other closing remarks? Uh, well, if you are interested in what we are doing at Embark Collective, it's a really it's a really exciting thing for us. We're, we're trying to recreate the entire entrepreneurial support model so that it's really focused on the founder. So let you, know, you can always tweet us. It's Embark, at Embark Collective without the E at the end, but it, just look for Embark Collective. You'll find us on Twitter. Um, you can send me a, a direct message. I'm at L Chinoy on Twitter. Um, and I'd love to know feedback from other people because it, what, what I'm trying to understand is, you know, this model seems to be working for 80 companies in, in Tampa Bay. Um, is this model worth codifying to, to bring to other parts of the world? Once again, Lakshmi Shinoy, CEO of Embark Collective out of Tampa. A couple of takeaways I got from this episode. First off, I love the agile approach to the programming. Um, I think that's smart and I think it's, I think it mirrors what successful entrepreneurs do, you know, like, I mean, I, I wake up every day with a plan to do X and often end up doing Y, Z, A, B, and C. Uh, good entrepreneurs learn how to solve problems. They learn how to solve problems that they didn't know they were going to need to solve. And often the way and how you do that leads to and determines the number of problems that you get to solve later on after as well. So I think that uh, I like the the nature of that. Um, you know, a, a couple other things here too is I, I and once again I mentioned this just a few minutes ago, but I, I love the the vested interest of of the coaches because uh, you know having it it sounds in theory like it's a great idea to volunteer and help with everyone and everything and then life catches up and it, there's a zillion you know like and and if i'm getting advice from someone i don't want them to be hurried i don't want them to like be listening in one ear while they're doing their paying job off on the side and you know and i think that uh 
another thing too is, is, well, I don't know. I get asked to do a lot of stuff for free a lot. And it's not that I don't, cause I do, I do a lot of it. And a lot of times I've been offered compensation and I say, no, we're good. Why? Cause it's local. I have, it's like, I drive up the street now. I, when I flew to Tampa and, and spoke to, you know, 500 people, that was, I was gone for a day and a half and, you know, and, and it wouldn't have been possible for me to do that or justify that without having a reason to do that. So I think that I, I would imagine that that leads to a much higher quality and, and a much more connected engagement. So um, I, I, I'm, I, am assuming I'm right there, but I don't know if I am, but that's, you that's are, the assumption you are, that I'm rolling I mean, with. Yeah. You understand the premise. This was built, this was built mirroring the process of what it's like to build a startup. And, and what we tried to do was make sure that the value proposition fit neatly into the world of, of building a startup rather than having to have a startup fit into our model. So just as a really sort of to, to, give you a, a sense of this. When we were building the Embark Collective brand, we built out a brand persona. That brand persona for us is named Alfred, named for Batman's butler. That's how we see ourselves as an organization. We are Batman's butler and the startups we work with, they're Batman. Um, and so I think it's really important to be able to be forward about that, knowing our place in helping a startup grow and ensuring that the startup's always the protagonist, always the superhero of the story, and um, in, and that we are truly a support organization. Yeah, and, that, and that, that my opinion on that and your approach comes from the advice that I've given a lot of startups, you know, because advisory advisors and advisory boards can be highly effective. But I hear people say all the time, like, well, I signed up advisors and then they didn't do shit. I'm like, do they have a reason to? Like, because right. human nature, I'm just a realist, you know, and human nature is that you're going to usually do what is most beneficial for you. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, want, you know, like with advisory boards and stuff like that, I tell people, I'm like, you got to give someone, especially if you want really, really good people, because they're busy doing other stuff. They got other things going on. And in many cases, they've already done it and they don't, Absolutely. they don't need it. Like, so maybe, maybe those people will do it for free sometimes because they're bored, but yeah. that's the only reason that they'll do it in many cases. But if you give someone a vested interest in your success, you're going to get more results. It's just that Absolutely. simple. It's the same reason that, that, uh, you know, salespeople, well, great salespeople should want to be on commission, right? Pay me for the results. Let's have exactly. a results oriented something, but exactly. you know, overall, I think that's a great approach. So once again, if you're interested in learning more about Embark Collective, there is a link in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you down the road. Thank you for having me. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.